Welcome to the Marcus Oldham College Ag Talk podcast. This series of podcasts focuses on the business management of Australian farms. G'day, my name is David Cornish. I am the director for the Centre for the Study of Agribusiness at Marcus Oldham College, an independent tertiary institution that has been producing the next generation of Australian farm managers for over 50 years. The focus of the podcast is to look at the question of what makes a farmer successful. Is it just luck or do good farmers make their own luck through hard work and utilising good business decision-making processes? I hope you enjoy the discussion. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Kate Burke back to the Marcus Oldham Ag Talk podcast to talk about her new book, Crops, People, Money and You. Having had the book for a couple of weeks, I've really enjoyed how Kate has structured the book in a way that is easy to read, but with some really powerful take-home messages in it. So welcome, Kate. How's it going? Uh, Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. No, it's all going well at this end. Good, good. So, Kate, other than you like torturing yourself, why did you write the book? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as a golfer, um, you know... (laughs) No, is that a golfer? What's your handicap, mate? Come on. Oh, pre-ordinary, 24. Good on you, better than me. (laughs) And um, they do say that uh, golf wrecks a good walk and writing a book probably um, is a similar process going through it. But the reason I wrote the book really was, I suppose there was a a message that I could see that could give people some empowerment in their farming journey and I thought the best, the biggest impact I could have was by writing a book rather than just individual consulting. Obviously, individual consulting, I'd um, get to um, influence a, a small number of people in their farming journey over a 12-month period. I might speak at a few GRDSE updates or, or other workshops and things um, and influence a a few other people. But by putting it all down in a book and getting it out to a much wider audience, um, I just felt that was the best way that I could make a contribution to farming in Australia. Great. I I think the thing that interests me, uh, what sort of got my ears pricked to start off with within the book is you talk about the research you did uh, as a younger you. Um, about the, the the differences you saw between, from a, I suppose from a financial performance base mainly, between the top 20% and the rest. And what you were seeing was this huge gap of performance. And so what did you take out of that and what was the sort of the learnings that you thought, well, how can I, how, we can apply that to the rest of agriculture? Yeah, well, I guess the thing that struck me for starters was that there was such a gap. So whether it's, you know, the study was measuring an upper quartile, so 25% or or um, the top 20% versus the average, the fact that in most cases that upper performing group was literally earning at least double the amount whether it's by profit or return on investment as the average, it got me thinking, it's like, well, okay, if 25% are doing this, you know, quite well, and then there's this gap, that means that 
you know, there's an op- the other 20, the other 75%, well, there's actually massive room for improvement because I'm always a glass full sort of person. And it just really intrigued me. And so I kept just sort of trying to find as many studies as I could and ABEAR reports and various universities, as well as the traditional benchmarking type studies. And that trend just kept holding true. It didn't matter whether it was dairy or or Broadacre or, um, you know, a, a specific portion of... of um, uh, grain farming in a particular region, that, that trend is just so consistent. And I, I, I guess it just really made me think, you know, there's such an opportunity there. So, so what is it that, um, what is it that we can do better and, and how can we capture that opportunity going forward? But surely, mate, it's, just, it's, it's, it's factors like climate and overseas prices and these things that we can't control that, that are affecting our performance on farm, isn't it? Ah, nice Dorothy Dixer there, Dave. <laughs> nice Dorothy Dixer. I had to go um, there, mate. That, that's, I mean, that is the, that's the perception. And, yep. and it's natural to think, well, I can't do much better than I've done because, you know, the rain didn't come when I wanted it to come or we got frosted in that year or, you know, 93 was the year when, when there was a mouse plague and barley was worth 90 bucks a tonne, you know, all, all that sort of stuff is, is valid. I guess what's really interesting, though, is the, the studies that have looked at the potential production versus actual production across the regions in both livestock and in, in cropping and also the studies that have put statistics into trying to explain the difference in, in farm performance. And, and the statistics of one particular study really stuck with me. And, and this was a comprehensive study, you know, 10 years of data right across all of Western Australia. Um, I think it was 259 farms in the, the data set. And, Within a region, it wasn't um, rainfall or soil type that was the difference. It wasn't grain price. It was the unique characteristics of each farm. You make that uh, comment early early on about one of your surprises, that the diversity of farms is such that research and experience both point towards individual characteristics of each farm as the largest influencer on financial performance. Correct. Correct. And, but it's natural for us not to, um, to realise that. Mm, mm. How much is scale important? Good question. Again, I've looked at quite a few of the different studies where the data has been available and it's not as important as you think because mm. within each group of, I guess, farm sizes there's a massive range of performance across that farm size. And in in one particular study, there was sort of a sweet spot. If you got too big, uh, the the returns tended to drop off. And that can be, um, it's something, I guess, that is 
for the larger what I call mega farms, whether they're family owned mega farms or or corporate entities. If you're too lean and, and mean and and you actually don't have the capacity to get things done on time over a massive, massive area, uh, it, it can impact on, on returns. And I think it's Bill Bill Malcolm has a great quote that, you know, uh, an unprofitable large farm is just a more unprofitable farm. Fair call. So, so yeah, scale's not necessarily the answer. I think um, it's about doing what you farming within your means, I guess, and having a machinery plant and fixed costs and those sort of things commensurate with the size of your farm if there isn't capacity to expand. Okay, so let's break it down. You, you, you state that the art of excellent farming is about excellent choices when it comes to crops, people, money and you, Okay, as the title says. That's what yep. you focus on. Can we look at these in a bit more detail? And let's start with crops. What do you think are the main things that a farmer need to get right to make excellent choices? Yeah, okay. I, I guess for starters, it's actually understanding um, what the levers of production are and and the, the big ticket items of production. So, you know, in, in a dry land sense, for example, it's um, maximising the amount of water you've got available to the crop, whether it's dry land or whether it's irrigated, it's then utilising the water that's available to you. So things like time of sowing, you know, timing's everything in farming. So whether it's... Um, timely sowing, whether it's timely operations um, such as spraying, um, disease control, all those sort of things, being on time or before time is absolutely paramount. And then understanding things like which are the big nutrition levers, you know, and, and nitrogen's king, certain soil types, phosphorus will be more important in some soil types than in others. So it's really about understanding your farm and understanding what your levers are and and being mindful that when we hear all the, you know, the interesting glossy stories that they may not necessarily apply to you and your patch. Yeah, yeah. So the, again, I think this issue about timing and about management, it, it goes back to what you were saying before or we're talking about the individual requirements of the farm is that that ability to get done what works for you but make certain you hit those timelines is absolutely paramount for profitable farming you know is that that's something that you found with the top 20 top 25 percent Kate oh absolutely all the studies suggest that you know high performing farms are, are get their timing right Mm. And and are good at managing and good at organising and yep. good at anticipating, good at knowing what they don't know. Yep. And yep. and being able to get advice around them. But the key thing is about being responsible for the final decision and 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 being prepared to own the decisions on on the farm. Yep. So I guess yeah. When it when you think about timing, you know. By by owning by owning the decision making process and owning the responsibility of getting things done, then you make things happen. 
Yep. Because, you know, if the chemical hasn't turned up, well, you actually get on the phone and, and call your, um, your supplier and say, oh, how's my chemical going? Mm. Um, if you sit and wait and don't speak up and then put the blame on the supplier, um, you know, it, it's actually not achieving much. But by being proactive and, and um, getting on with the job, and it may be that that's just the nudge that needed, that was needed. You know, things like that. I think there's so much we can do to be proactive. It, it's, it's sort of focusing on, on on doing the things that you can control and you can manage well. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and, and I guess, I, you know, people don't um, might think that I'm, I'm dismissive of, of pricing and I'm certainly not dismissive of pricing because uh, obviously in a, in a year when if wheat's your dominant crop and a year when wheat's $200 a tonne, you know, it takes the shine off it compared to if, if wheat's $280 a tonne. Mm. But we can't control that. We can't control those big shifts in price. Those big shifts in price occur because of global, main, usually global matters or or droughts. And the things that I've seen that would back that up are just thinking about some of the benchmark studies I've seen, Kate, and we'll talk about benchmarks where the studies are not the be-all and end-all, absolutely, but, you know, they show the correlation between a high, very profitable farms. There's a, there's a, there's a strong relationship between productivity but not a strong relationship with price. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, it's be, and the reason for that is because is we have more control over productivity. Mm. And a lot more control over than we than we think we do, because every management decision has the potential to influence the end yield. So whether that's um, you know a timing type decision, whether that's a decision to do with um, nitrogen application, uh, there's the you know, just the, the range, I suppose, or the possibilities of yield. You know, you, you think about the Western District and the, the possibilities of yield, you know, basically from two and a half tonne to, to 10 tonne, yep. all in one year, depending mm. on, on management. Mm. And yet the possibility of price in any given year is probably, you know, it might be plus or minus $50. Mm. 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 No, it or, is or possibly more in you know in in those higher freak years, but but on so the I guess the huge variation in yield is that's that's possible is what is why it's so important to get the productivity piece right. How important is is rotation? And, and when I'm talking about that, is one of my concerns, and I don't know whether it's I've been reading the wrong things, Kate, but one of my concerns is about the long term sustainability of some of our rotations, especially we're using the Western District Victoria from herbicide resistance and, and insect issues and things like that, yet the most profitable rotations, which is the wheat canola, is, is you know, you've got this sort of short-term trade-off versus long-term concerns. So are we seeing, is there any validation in that, in that concern or is it just that if we know how to manage properly, we can actually manage those long-term issues and maintain the profitable rotations? Oh look, I I really share your concern, mm. and absolutely share your concern. 
and I guess it's I'm not sure that I've seen the evidence in the long term that on a whole farm basis that wheat canola is the most profitable rotation. Yep. I suspect looking at it from a gross margin perspective, it, it looks like it's the most profitable rotation. But if you've got a, a whole farm where some paddocks will have more constraints than others based on things exactly what you're talking about in the Western District, you know, huge banks of ryegrass, issues with with pests, things like slugs, issues with earwigs, all, all those sorts of things. My gut feel and my observations without having looked at the data specifically for, for, for that region is that rotations that have a livestock component in it seem to be pretty sustainable in in the long term and you know, particularly with with cattle and um, and sheep doing so well in in recent years so I, I, I battle a bit with the crop every acre of every farm in every district I was going to ask you about that that, that concept around around crops crops intensity because again I think another really interesting point that I've not only heard from you but certainly some other mentors that you mentioned in this book, uh, you know, talk about, you know, that, that why are we cropping that last 10% where it's going to cost us, where our, our margins are going to be so low and our risk is higher? Why are we actually doing that? I think a lot of it's about perception mm. and and the perception that you do need to, to crop every paddock to, you know, take that margin each year. And I suspect, though, if... If every business actually measured their returns from every paddock every year, in, as in financial returns yep. from a whole of business perspective, that the results might surprise them yep. because those individual paddocks end up costing more. Mm. And and all the data I've seen, you know, I've, I've never seen a graph that's got a straight line saying the more you crop, the more money you make. Yep, yep. So, so it's, it's sort of been. It's about using your resources to get the biggest bang for your bucks. Is is that a fair call? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and obviously, rainfall is really important in that. So, you know, what what the mix looks like in the Western District or in high rainfall regions in in WA are going to be very different to what the the mix looks like looks like uh, in the Mallee. Or, or at Geraldton, but I just, I think, I suppose my message is until you actually look at your dart, your numbers well and really understand your numbers, then then I'd be wary about the assumptions. And I think it's yep. a message there for for young agronomists too to, um, to be really mindful and, and try and understand the impact of, of their decisions on, on the profit of their their farmers and 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 not to assume that you know cropping every paddock is is necessary yep Kate I want to move on to people and and that's again uh, something I think that you really bring in, into the the book world is, is this concept that 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 farming is a is a people's business you know yes we use machinery yes we grow crops 
But the reality is that if we want to make a successful farm, it's around people and it's around you. So you talk about the concepts of, of personal operating systems, your thinking landscape, your people and you. What do you mean? Yeah, good, good question. Good question. Basically, we're humans are values driven is, is the bottom line. And I suppose when I talk about a personal operating system, I'm talking about values and, and purpose. Yep. And the, re- the reason I coined personal operating system was that we all know that, you know, a farm has a, a, an operating system. We're all familiar with, with those things these days. And there's this sort of hidden software inside. We don't know how the iOS works on our phone. We just know <laughs> that we have to update it every now and then. And again, we have this hidden system inside of us that's built built up through a combination of genetics and upbringing and, and experiences and either consciously or or subconsciously, that influences the way we think, what our biases are and, and how we make decisions. And, and I just thought it was a really important thing to, I suppose, elevate the consciousness around that and our awareness of why we do what we do. Mm. So, so are you talking about there about how I might make a decision about uh, how I would evaluate information myself to make a decision on farm? Are you talking about how I communicate to my team members or are you talking about how I would work dealing with family issues on my farming operation? All of the above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of the above because yeah. it, it drives every everything we do. Mm. We're, we're classics in, in farming at um, historical bias, for example, so, you know, if last year was a good year, we sort of have that in our head and we go into this year full of enthusiasm. Once you understand, though, that, you know, you've got a history of historical bias, then you might think, oh, okay, well, I tend to get a bit excited after a good year or a bit um, down in the mouth after a bad year. I I need to utilise the people around me and whether that's, you know, my... Um, business advisor or whether it's my agronomist or other members of, of the team to do the rational thinking and the logical thinking about setting realistic yield targets and what the year like me might mean. You know, that, that's, that's a, 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 a small example. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no. And again, I think we're all, we all, you know, it's been three years since Hawthorne's been in a grand final, mate. You know, you know, I'm starting to worry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like we're humans. I guess that's the thing. The fundamental thing is we're humans. Yep. And and humans are complex beasts. Mm. And I guess I wanted to use terms that related to what we do on the farm to try and get these what might have been considered airy-fairy or soft, touchy-feely or just a bit yuck because we might be talking about, you know, psychology but it's all essential to what we do. So you're talking about mental health there? Yeah, mental health. I guess there's two aspects of it. There's there's just emotion in general, and then there is um, you know our mental well-being, and they're they're subjects that a lot of people aren't comfortable with. Yep. 
yet they're really important in in terms of the influence on how we make decisions. Yep. So I guess my interest is I read an article probably five years ago now by a fellow called Travis Bradbury, and he talked about uncertainty and the impact that uncertainty has on our brains and uncertainty puts us into that fight and flight mode. Yep. And therefore it's really difficult to make logical and rational decisions when you're in fight, fight and flight. Yep. When you think about farming and you, you know, as an agronomist or you yourself, David, as an ag professional, we often we think, you know, it's just bloody logical. Why don't, why don't people do it like this or why do they do that? And as scientists, we appro- we've been approaching all these issues from a logic point of view, but the reality is we're not operating entirely under a logic system. We're, we're operating in a world of uncertainty. So we're making decisions with our brain sort of flipping into the emotional side of it quite often and therefore we might not be in the space to listen to pure logic or take on you know all the all the the evidence and everything that the researchers and the extension officers and the advisors are putting in front of us yet we don't necessarily take it on board and and follow the recipe and that's because we're a little bit fried by this whole thing of uncertainty yeah and and again i suppose it also think about like you and I could be sitting here and we could have a, an agronomist or, or some expert giving us exactly the same information, but because of our different, as you go back to your our different upbringing, our different values, our different thing filters, we could make completely different decisions. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And, and I guess when you're a young advisor, you, you don't actually realise that. Yep. As you get older, you sort of become more accepting of the diversity of people and and you start to realize that it's it's actually harder to influence people than you think yep yep no yeah you know you you learn that the hard way sometimes yeah 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 okay mate last uh one money money you talk about your revenue Mm. your useful spending your robust business and regret-free reward I like the regret-free reward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, the money section, I guess I wanted to tackle it slightly differently. You know, there's lots of reports out there that talk about profit drivers. Yep. And, And again, doesn't matter whether the report's been written by David Cornish or Opinion Advisory or ORM or one of the groups from... Um, Western Australia, the messages are always pretty much the same, you know, and and that is have a reasonable fixed cost structure, have strong revenue that's generated cost effectively. Mm. And what I wanted to talk about is helping people understand their, their own attitudes towards spending and, and, aware of being aware of where their their money's going because quite often I think it's I I used to see on farm 
like you, you know, you can be on a farm for probably half a day, and and you already know whether they're a spender or or, or a non-spender. Mm, yep. And and often, um, you know, sometimes that's good. Sometimes um, it's not so good. So so I think understanding your own traits when it comes to your own attitudes towards money is really is really important. Because there's a, I suppose there's a there's a balance between you got to spend money to make money, but you don't want to spend money just to spend money. If I can put it that way, that's right. It's about it's about spending money in the right spots. Yep. You know, and it's about understanding the cost of machinery, for example, and and understanding the the concept of depreciation, and yep. that you know when you spend a lot of money on 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 equipment. And, and plant and infrastructure that um, those things won't have the same value in, in five years' time. Yep. So I think because that's not a cash cost, that reduction in value of, of your plant and equipment, it's a forgotten cost yep. when, when actually assessing the, the true performance of the business. And in yeah, and, and it's actually looked on as a bit of a positive because it um, you know helps you out with the tax bill. Yep. Whereas the reality is it's a true cost to the business and and your bottom line. So I think being aware of, of the hit what I call the hidden costs. Yep. And what? in terms of you know variable costs or 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 spending money to make money in production, I think it's um yeah, there's a real trap in in underspending and the moment we say we've got to reduce cross to concentrate on inputs and we concentrate on inputs because they're so obvious, mm. but in actual fact, you know, we could be dribbling money away by, um, you know, picking up bits and pieces every time we go to the, to a field day or something <laughs> and, you know, topping up the workshop equipment and, and yet being stingy on nitrogen. And I think I know where, um, which, which one's going to give you a better return on investment? Where you bang for your bucks are. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's the, that's a good point. It's about understanding which of the inputs is going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. So things like summer spraying, nitrogen, you know, disease management, all those sorts of things. And again, I think it gets back to one of your points you make, and I'm going to use a personal anecdote here, so I'm going to call myself out here, is that when you talk about behaviours or, or things that we've done, we've always done. And and, and therefore it sort of becomes uh, embedded in the way in our, in our spending patterns. Mine was buying a coffee every morning from the co- coffee shop. Now, every you see people walk to, walk to work and they've always got a cup of coffee. The thing was is when your wife sits down with your, your, your MasterCard at the end of the year and said, listen, do you realise how much you spent on coffee this year? Uh, and we're talking thousands of dollars. But it's four dollars fifty a day. So, yeah, you know, hundred bucks. Yeah. So, my 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 personal belief is I could justify that coffee every day because everyone does it. It makes me feel good, all that type of stuff. But the reality was was that I could probably, you know, as I say, by getting a bloody pod and spending what twenty cents on a pod, uh, it probably wasn't as good as barista made. But I still I achieved that, and I save I'm saving myself, you know, fifteen hundred dollars. Now I know it's fifteen hundred dollars an example. But I know on, on farms that I've been involved with, there's these sort of things that people do because they've always done them and they don't question that spend. Yeah, yeah. 
a, um, a, a lady that I, I met a few years ago who's um, you know, had a, a number of board portfolios in, in the agribusiness world and she said, you know, about in terms of cost management, she said it's about working out where the leaking pipes are and then stopping the leakages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and again, we're, we're very good. Um, and I'm I'm guilty of this: is is letting my expenditure rise to my level of income. So if I've got a bit more cash in the bank, Correct. suddenly I've got oh, I need that or that shiny toy or something like that. And I'll, I'll I'll put my hand up as being guilty. But if you can just stop that, it doesn't take too long for you. you certainly, your bank balance starting to look look a lot better than what it was. Oh, absolutely. And and I guess that comes down to, you know, business basics, like actually having a budget. Yep. And one of the best things that that I learned in, in corporate land was the power of, of monthly reconciliations yes. and, and looking at your profit and loss statement relative to to the budget, so particularly on the expenditure side, obviously there's not a lot of income coming in throughout the year. Yep. But looking at the unders and overs and and just um, keeping a, an eye on that, it's something you know, it's re- really simple to do these days because we've got to do the, we've got to get everything up to date before the bass anyway. Yeah, yeah, and and it's not it's not about saying it's right or wrong. It's about asking the question why. Yeah, absolutely. It's just about keeping. You know, just keeping an eye on on where the money's going, yeah, and and preempting where the expenses. You know, there will be years where you need to spend more money, and that's okay. But it's preempting where that they're going to be and and where those overs are going to happen, and and um, and planning for them. Yep. Finally, you and your personal power. My favourite chapter. What's that about? What power? We've all got power. The easiest, the easiest thing to um, change is yourself, apparently. Well, I would have thought it had been the hardest, mate. <laughs> oh, it's a lot easier to change your own behaviour than anybody else's. That's a fair call if you want to, yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. Isn't and I it? guess, yeah. you know, and I'm no Puritan and, and uh, I'm human like everyone else's and some things I've managed to, to manage better and some things I still battle with. I still like going to McDonald's. <laughs> but I guess this, this chapter came about from, from a couple of perspectives. One, I've been doing some work on, on resilience over the last few years and a lady called Catherine McEwen and her colleagues had done a lot of work on workplace resilience and what it really meant. And resilience, in, in their language, resilience is about being able to withstand shocks, stay well and get the, the work done. Yep. You know, and being able to bounce back when you need to bounce back, but also to be productive. And and the important, the way to, to actually maintain resilience was around all those things we've already been talking about if you if you've got a personal operating system that's going well you know you you're you know your values you're aligned what the work you do is aligned with your values you're being true to yourself you've got a purpose practical things like you're fit and healthy 
and functioning, that you've got support around you both at work and at home, that you're not overly stressed. All of these things help build and maintain resilience. Yep. And they, they can be taught. So, so I was really interested in that when I did the work with Catherine McKeown and have used these concepts in, in my own delivery, I was really interested in that whole concept of the easiest thing to change is your own behaviour. Yep. And it just got me thinking about, you know, this whole concept of what's in our control, what's not in our control, how do we manage uncertainty, all of these things are so entwined and with the moment we think it's someone else's fault or think the world's against us, we've sort of like we've given away our power. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and I guess some um, farm farming is full of uncertainty. And we're actually really good at dealing with it. Mm. So when COVID happened, uh, Chris Sanis who's at Wimmera Development Association these days, contacted me and said, look, you're really good at speaking about uncertainty and how to manage uncertainty and do scenario planning and all of those sort of things. I reckon it would be great if you could talk to business leaders because with COVID, they're really battling with uncertainty and they're not used to it. Yep. And so... I wrote a paper that I called Personal Power, just trying to put all these concepts together. And and there was, you know, over 50 Wimmera businesses and organisations were online. This is smack in the middle of, you know, the, the first... Lockdown? Yeah, this is sort of March, April, when it was all really uncertain, you know, yep. what have we got here? And basically what I was teaching these guys is all the concepts that farmers do intuitively. Mm. Mm. And, and I think sometimes people forget, and, and again, my one of my biggest hates is this, this concept that I'm only a farmer. And, 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 and I try and get them to understand, you know, why farmers, uh, I remember when we were doing rural counselling, for instance, when we were setting that up and we had the first wool crash way back in the last century, that how easy it was for farmers to get jobs because the the employees really valued the the, the self starting resource decision making things that you that farmers take for granted that they think everyone do, does and and but they're really good at and and people really value. Ab- ab- absolutely, this I'm with you. This oh, I'm just a farmer. Absolutely, does my head in because it's a the sophisticated, complex businesses and people, you know, it requires practical nows, it requires intuition, business nows, people nows. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands literally of of businesses out there that are bloody good business people and bloody good farmers. And I think we just as a as a group in a community we need to remember that and and give ourselves a pat on the back when we do a good job kate i reckon that's a great point to finish on i just want us to the audience as obviously say we've 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 basically tip of the iceberg stuff that we've talked about here and 
If you're interested in any of this, I, I highly recommend that you get hold of Kate's book. Where would you get it, Kate? Uh, the easiest place to get my book is to go straight to our website. And so yeah. that's thinkagri.com.au and there's a link there to the book and you can order it online. Fantastic, Kate. And thank you very much for today. And uh, thanks for putting the effort into write a book because they're not easy. Uh, thanks, Dave. And I guess my wish is that um, for those people that do have an opportunity to double their income in the long term, that this book helps them get there. Terrific. Thanks for listening to this week's Marcus Ag Talk podcast. Please, any feedback on the series would be greatly appreciated. You can either leave a message on this site or email me at cornish at marcusoldham.vic.edu.au. Stay tuned to next week's podcast as we continue to explore farm management from an Australian perspective.